Our number one downloaded show is the interview we did with Bill Lamort a few months ago on OKRs. And Ben is one of those guys I could just listen to all day. He speaks with zeal, yet he's clear and always on point when he's talking about OKRs. And I'm also a huge fan of Christina Wadke, who wrote the first book on OKRs called Radical Focus. Think of this as an OKRs doubleheader, as we have both Ben and Christina on the show to talk about what OKRs are for and when never to use them. I'm Mark Gandy with CFO Bookshelf, and Ben and Christina are coming up next. Alrighty, Ben, since you're the one who introduced me to Christina on her work with OKRs, I'm going to let you introduce her. Yeah, well, thanks, Mark. I am delighted to introduce Christina Wadke, who I met really first time I met her was through an email. She probably doesn't know this, Christina. I was at BetterWorks at the time. This must have been like 2014-ish. And I got an email that said somebody was doing this presentation on OKRs, and I was really interested in OKRs myself. And I said, oh, I want to go to that event. I couldn't go to this event, and I forget why. I know I had a good reason. It was something like some family issue or something like that. But you were speaking in Palo Alto, and I missed it. And then I think maybe like a week later, or maybe it was a week before, I'm not sure, but right around then, I got to click on the link that's called The Executioner's Tale and see Christina in action talking about OKRs. And I, I just send this video out to everybody. As it's a great. Overall, it's a definitive introduction to like, why are we doing OKRs? How does it work? And it's only 20 minutes. And at the time this video came out, the other video that was worthwhile was the Rick Clow video from Google Ventures, which was like 80 minutes. And I know Rick always jokes about how he wishes he made that video shorter and he never thought anybody would watch it. But um, that all said, ever since I saw Christina's video, I knew I had to meet her in person. So eventually we did. We actually ended up collaborating on some OKRs projects. And ever since, over the last five or six years, um, Christina and I have an annual dinner that we get together and sort of compare the State of the Union on OKRs and life at Stanford. Christina is now teaching at Stanford as a lecturer. So it's just really delightful for me to have the privilege of being on this podcast with you, Mark, and say, there it is, Christina, the OKRs expert. And final point I got to make, Christina wrote the book Radical Focus which is the first book ever written dedicated to the field of OKRs. And I mean, there are other books like High Output Management that you'll talk about by Andy Grove that mention OKRs, but this book that Christina wrote, Radical Focus, is no doubt about it, the first book that sort of started this field of OKRs to make it more popular. And I will say that I'm now currently reading RF 2.0. So with that, I'll let you derive the acronym of RF2.0 and turn it over to you, Christina. I have a question for both of you, too. How long have both of you, we'll start with Christina first, how long have you been implementing OKRs? And then I want to hear the same thing from you, Ben, and then that will lead to another question. I mean, I came across OKRs at Zynga, of course, which was a John Doerr company. And just like every other John Doerr company, um, he said, this OKR thing seems to work pretty well. You might want to check it out. Mark uh, loved it. Our CEO loved it. And um, all the studios implemented it in different ways, which was really useful for me because I could see how different people uh, interacted with uh, OKRs. Um, Cityville, which was one of the more massive hits, um, was using the, uh, the Foursquare, which I thought, it, it's a terrible name. I really should come up with a better name than, it's a two by two. But um, it, they were using it as like a sort of a cover sheet for their metrics meetings. And in Zynga, you had, you know, 
60 to 90 minute metrics meetings every week. There was no question about it. You went over every single number, but I just couldn't help but notice how well that gathered everything together so that when you were looking at all the other metrics, you knew what the most important thing was. And then when I quit Zynga and I started doing some consulting with various startups, they were just like, oh, what about this shiny object? And what about that shiny object? And let's do this. And so I ended up paring down the OKR process until it was as simple as humanly possible because um, they needed something to help them make decisions about how am I going to spend my time today? And I will say Radical Focus was aimed at startups, but just like the uh, lean startup was aimed at startups, enterprises are eating it up. So that's why I got to uh, writing Radical Focus uh, 2.0, as I've been calling it. And that has a lot more about larger companies and how do we deal with cascade problems and how does strategy and product portfolios interact with OKRs. I'm trying hard to keep it short, though. I don't want it to become like a 300-page work book because, as Ben says, the brevity is part of its power. And I want to put a pin on that, Christina, and, and I'll come back to you in just a minute. And Ben, how long have you been implementing OKRs? It's 10 plus years, right? Well, I started at 2011 or so when Jeff Walker, who was the Oracle guy that introduced me to OKRs, that's the subject of another podcast that we already covered, Mark. But I'll tell you, we started using OKRs in about 2011 at a startup. And of course, we did everything wrong. Uh, it took us a while to get it to the point where it was even adding value, to be perfectly honest. But it wasn't really until 2013 that I really started focusing on using OKRs at other organizations outside of that first uh, first case in 2011. So it sounds like, Christina, when you were introduced to OKRs, can we call it 1.0? <laughs> we're looking at where we are today, 2021, 20, are we in 2.0, 3.0, or is that even the right language? I'm worried about OKRs, you know, because originally it was a tool for creating focus, getting everybody pointed in the same direction. But the consultants came too early, I think. And Ben, not you, because like me, you've been working with OKRs for a long time. That's all these people have been working on it for one or two years. And they're trying to sell it as something it really isn't. Um, Better works. Um, you know, it's really more of a project management tool or a product management tool, as opposed to a true OKR tool. Um, there are very few good OKR tools, if any. I think I can think of one or two. Um, but what we have is these consultants going, I'll just do this thing I usually do and then sprinkle OKRs on it. And so we have people doing performance reviews with OKRs, which is all kinds of messed up. We have people trying to do OKRs with, say, their legal or customer service team, which really hard and unnecessary. Um, and they're trying to use it on uh, parts of their business that are dying because the reality is sometimes the market goes away. And so in all these situations, people are going to fail. They're going to be angry. They're going to throw the whole thing out and they're going to miss out of what actually works with OKRs. And that's, that's definitely my biggest fear. Yeah. And just to echo in on that, this is a really critical point that Christine is making. I'm totally resonating with it. And it may not be popular to say this because I'm trying to create an OKRs coach community and all that, but there are certain OKRs coaches who need to know that like, and Christine actually made a presentation to the OKRs coaching network just this just earlier this month, that you can't take the product roadmap and say, now that we have our product roadmap with all these like features we're going to deliver and stuff like that, let's move that into the OKRs. It just isn't done. But yet, I, I don't know if I want to say a percentage of the time, but I will, I will guess it's probably about half of the time that organizations have a roadmap 
they end up doing exactly that. And I think even some of my clients, I mean, I'll admit it, I'm actually guilty in some cases of having people take their roadmap and put it into OKRs. I try not to let them do this, but there's so much momentum also within the organization itself that that's what they want to do. And so I'm really curious, Christina, to have you talk a little bit about this whole, how do we avoid these problems and sort of what are your tips? This is, of course, me also benefiting from the conversation. Here's the problem is, um, I don't know if we can prevent it. What I'm really hoping is by, with Radical Focus 2.0, and hopefully folks like your coaching community, if we can get together and say, okay, this is how we're going to talk about it. This is, we're, we're going to be enough of a force saying this is what works and this is what doesn't work and this is what we've seen. That's really going to help. And I feel like I'm sort of a contrarian, um, but I know you're, you're a contrarian with me saying, don't do OKRs for everything. Like that's a shocking statement to some people, um, but it's just too overwhelming. It's too many things to remember every day. It muddies the water. You have cross competing uh, goals. It's just, you know, there, there are places where it's just not the right thing to do. And um, I just don't like the idea of having OKRs being used to sort of see if you can squeeze a little more blood out of the rock, so to speak. You know, um, I'm much more interested in OKRs freeing people up to do their best work. Um, I'm much more on the Marty Kagan empowered side of things, definitely. So I don't know if we can stop people except saying, you know, in one voice, as many of us as possible, that that's, that's not right. That's Well, just, you know. I'll, I'll sort of answer the question from what I've seen you help me along the way, and my coaches are benefiting from this. The distinction between a key result and a health metric, right, is a basic distinction that everybody gets. And whenever I present that to an organization, they always go like, oh, okay, so just because we're tracking it doesn't make it a key result. Like, not all metrics are key results. So I have to think about where do I really focus on improving that becomes a key result versus health metric. But I think you've taken this to the next level. And I don't know if you want to introduce this now on this podcast, but I'm sort of putting you on the spot. You know, you can determine if you want to do it, if now's the time, the four E's, right? Because that, that message of the four E's just took this distinction. We did a key result and a health metric and really got everybody excited, at least in the OKRs coaches that have seen it so far. I'm going to, I'm going to be taking notes here, Christina. Is, do we get to hear the four E's? What it is, is basically, if you think about whether or not the market is growing, and by market, I mean a group of people who want the same thing, who have the same needs, and how much are you, the company, growing in your positioning in that market? So if we have a market that's growing really fast, you know, baby boomers or maybe the Ukraine, China, um, if it's growing really fast and we have markets in there, then it's a great time to have OKRs because you know there's a lot of growth, there's a lot of value that you should be getting. And then, of course, if it's this market that's growing, but you don't have anything there, it's a mystery. And this kind of brought me back to um, a great, I don't know if it, I think it's an economics um, model, uh, explore, exploit. So those are our first two, right? Are we going to explore this market? Um, which means we're going to do a lot of lean startup type uh, innovation accounting. We're going to go ahead and go out there and do many, many tr trials, see if we can get uh, product market fit. But um, if we're already there and it's just a matter of growing, we're going to use OKRs to grow. But the other four, two E's um, are the ones that shouldn't have OKRs. They should have KPIs. And one is you have actually saturated the market. There's nowhere else to go from there. And you're just enjoying, you know, a cash cow. 
And um, I think that's a great one for, oh, sorry, that's exploit. The, uh, see, it's so new, I get confused. Um, the one where you're expanding is called expand. See, I saw Ben's face. He was like, Christina, no, no, you get your ears mixed up. That teach me to talk about it in front of me. Um, so you're expanding the market, right? Then we have, um, you're not gonna grow anymore. You have a huge presence. You gotta exploit that for as long as it lasts. And the last one is exit, exit that market. Because if you think about it, if you've got this dog that's been limping along, you know, the product's just not doing it. You don't want to spend a lot of time on the people who maintain it. It's a very depressing job being on a dying product. It really breaks people's hearts. And so there's a lot to be said for, you know, doing a formal exit and transitioning out. And so if you think about that, it's um, based on the Boston Consulting Group's famous exactly. stars, dogs. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. The BCG But matrix. in this case, we say this is what you do. Yeah. Exactly. So um, taking that and saying, okay, we've got these four E's. Here's where we're doing our OKRs. Here's where we're doing our KPIs. Um, and that way you still measure things. You never stop measuring things. Um, I think I'm the most um, metrics crazy uh, person I know, despite having a design background um, as well as a, a product management background. But I think that if you can measure your cash cows, you can measure the places where you're exploiting. When it goes down and those numbers go down, then you know to move it to a dog. And when the dog's there and the numbers are really grim, then you move it out. And so you always taking the pulse. The question is, are you getting everybody to push forward or are you just collecting your money and, and closing things out? If we can back up just a little bit and we're going to talk about your other book. That's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is to talk about the, your second book, The Team That Managed Itself. And by the way, it's a great book, but just hang on there. In the first book, getting back to the basics, and Ben, I hope this is okay. I'm sure that when you step into a new new company, Christina, for the first time, you're overwhelmed with, and you said this earlier, too many objectives or too many goals. How do you corral people in to say, okay, let's slow down here? Because uh, there are a lot of high dopamine CEOs that, you know, faster, faster, faster. But what's your, what's, how, do you, how do you deal with that? It's funny. Um, when I, I talk to a client, they use me as a, a cat herder. They put me in the executive team and I get out of the two-hour meeting with OKRs, which is um, one of my superpowers, I guess. Yeah. Um, it's really about understanding what, are OKRs good for and what are they not as good for? So if you're looking at your strategic policies, like you, you're everybody in the world right now has been knocked off their ass pretty much. Sorry. Um, I don't know if this is a PG rated uh, podcast. You're fine. <laughs> okay. Um, and that really speaks to this problem of um, how much time do we give our strategic efforts and how much time do we continue going on on the efforts that are making a lot of money? And the strategic efforts are those that are going to get us um, when we start to go downhill, right? You've got to always be thinking, you know, a few years out, preferably more, um, but you also have to be able to move quickly. And so I've been talking to people when I talk to them about a half-built strategy. And the idea is that you have the strategic OKRs that go across the year. And these are really aimed at the strategic stuff. We've got to find a new market. We've got to enter this, you know, whatever your strategy asks, you can start putting them in there. Um, and then you put KPIs on the rest, the health metrics. Um, 
getting people to think about it that way is step one. Another thing that happens is there's this weird thing that people do. And I know you've seen this, Ben, where it's like everybody gets their own special metric, right? And you'll see like two metrics, two OKRs that are definitely going to the same overall effort. But those two OKRs are like, this is marketing's OKR and this is product's OKR. And you really don't need to do that. So if you can kind of combine them into here's two people working towards a similar goal, that helps. Um, so combine, avoid redundancy, um, use OKRs for what they should be used for. And then the last one is sequence. So one of the things I've noticed about a lot of people is they they don't get the idea that time is long. I know that sounds weird, but they want to do everything in this one quarter that they're looking at. And guess what? You don't have to. You can do things in Q2, Q3, Q4, but there's something really good about that, which is that if you work on the right things in Q1, let's say retention, and then you move on. You've heard me say this before. And then Q2, you work on um, conversion, and then you work on Q3, work on acquisition you're actually um, modeling both uh, organizational knowledge and a very robust approach to products. So I think that's the last one is sequence. So use OKRs for what they're good at, combine and get rid of redundancy. And again, yeah, and I just want to expand on what Christina just said. First of all, I want to validate it. It's so true. I had a, I did a workshop with Christina. Christina actually led it, and I pretty much sat there and watched Christina do it. And this was with a tech company down in the Silicon Valley. And it was one of those two-hour workshops with the leadership team. And it was so funny because, sure enough, after the – I think there were a lot of naysayers or doubters coming in. But afterwards, people consistently said, wow, that was amazing. We really made a lot of progress. I didn't think we were going to do that. That was just two hours. This is incredible. <laughs> and I think that the OKRs conversation really does that. I think one thing that um, Christina pointed out is like, or you asked Mark, is like, how do you use OKRs to focus? And two of the coaches on my team have come back to me and said, wow, like this is it, the four E's, right? Because what that does, the four E's, if you will, gives you a place to say, oh, see, so OKRs are not everything. We don't have to get all of our work into OKRs. We're not, we're not asking the question, what are we going to do? And, and again, going back to some of the original content on OKRs. And I've seen these presentations. I'm sure you've seen them too, Christina. You know, oh, objectives are what we're going to do. And the key results are how we're going to know we did it. I mean, I'm sorry, but anybody that's defining OKRs this way, that would be like OKRs negative 1.0, if you go back to Mark's point. So with these four E's, people, <laughs> but people need to feel heard. Like we're humans. Like I need to know that I'm okay, even if what I'm doing isn't directly showing up in the OKRs. And by having those four E's, people kind of you reduce the anxiety. People say, oh, okay, so I can park that over here. Like you said earlier, Christina, right? Those legal people or whatever they're doing, they might be working on some settlement or some going, you know, reverse merger or whatever it is those legal people do. That doesn't need to be in the OKRs, yeah. you know? And then that should be okay. So the, the feedback has just been very positive from coaches who are using that type of framework right in the start to kind of scope out, remember now, OKRs are not everything. Because it's easy to say that, but then you have to say, so then this is what OKRs are not. And those things can also be important. I think that's a critical message to make. I want to get to your second book, The Team That Manages Itself. Well, actually, we have all your books listed. And by the way, I do have the drawing book, uh, believe it or not. <laughs> the Team That Manages Woo! Itself. Yeah, I do. I believe it. Why did you write that book? Why did you feel like you needed to write this book? That's so funny because you're, you set me up so well with that other first question. It's because OKRs aren't everything. And when I was writing it, I was like, what am I talking about? I talking about the 9X 
team because it's a three by three. Wow. Usually I do two by twos, but I moved up to three by threes. And then, um, so it, it really was there to help people think about OKRs in a healthy company that empowers their employees and gets extraordinary results from that. And there's a lot of fear to let go of that control. So um, I was having all these calls where people are like, what do you do with performance management? And I'm like, what do you usually do? And they're like, well, I do the usual thing. And I started to realize that a lot of people didn't get to go through good management training as I was lucky enough to do at Yahoo uh, way back in the day. And they've been promoted up, but they're kind of flailing a little bit. And then I thought, well, there's been lots of books about people management. How could I make this book really be interesting to people, help them learn the people who the other management books didn't work for, like Wisdom of Teams is a wonderful book, but it's a bit dry. And so I thought, well, let's write a story, work for Radical Focus. And so I wrote a story. I decided I wanted it to be more than just a fable. I wanted it to be actually fiction. I don't know if that was a good idea or a bad idea, but I, I'm, I'm really very proud of Trust the me, story. it was good. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Um, and then, you know, I just wrote the story of somebody who's been promoted and just suddenly become a manager and going, dang, I'm people management now. What does that mean? How do I survive? And OKRs are going to help you with that. But knowing good team practices will help you. Knowing good hiring practices will help you. And the most important thing is that cadence. And that's another thing we see, like how are OKRs different from SMART goals or blah, blah, blah. And it really is not just how to write a goal, but how to live the goal. And so the other ones are, you know, norms. How do we make sure as a group that we're taking care of each other, we're growing each other, we're not driving each other nuts? Um, That was really critical. And then, of course, roles. I think this is one of the saddest things is that we hire so badly, at least certainly in the Silicon Valley, we hire just terribly. And it's that same rule of thumb. What could a startup do to not hire badly? What does a small group of people do to not hire badly? And that's where it came, the role canvas, which I'm surprised on LinkedIn. People are telling me they've been using it and using it and they're loving it. Um, So that's wonderful. Um, I think uh, my clients used it and they liked it. So there we are. But uh, seeing your ideas in the world is pretty, pretty amazing. Can I put in a special shout out to Mark, just on the note of the, on this book, it's sort of related, which is Christina's article um, and keynote speech on the five types of teams. Yes. Because th- this is so foundational also to OKRs. And I didn't get it right, Christina, when I read Radical Focus, like this came later. I hope that this is part of RF 2.0 because, mm-hmm. I mean, every single one of my clients that was, when I would work with OKRs coaching, they would always struggle to figure out, well, what are the teams that set OKRs and how does that work? And this this distinction of the uh, the types of teams. And I hadn't seen it until I saw you, Christina. So as far as I'm concerned, you introduced the world to the five types of teams. But I found that to be so foundational. And so I don't know if you can connect that also to how that fits in with the team that managed itself. But I also just wanted to put a shout out to that article. If you do nothing else after listening to this podcast, go Google Christina Teams, the five types of teams or something like that. You'll find it. Design a t- the team you need to succeed, I think, is the, the one that does that. Uh, Laura Ciceri will be on the show next week. She has over 300,000 followers in LinkedIn. She's a brilliant thinker in the logistics and supply chain uh, world, just a phenomenal thinker. And Bob Stahl, who is an expert in SNOP, sales and operations planning, he credits Laura with what he calls the 10-30-60 rule. And anytime you want organizational change or person change or a team change, 
10% is usually because of the software we've implemented. The next 30% is because of the system, the process, the strategy. And then the last 60% is because of behaviors, behaviors. And as I was reading your book, I was thinking this is the book about the 60%. You're smiling, Christina. Am I right? I had not heard that before, but yeah, I think I think that's really what you're talking about is um, the 60%, right? Yes. So thank you. And then one other thing in the book, and I thought you were going to go here, uh, Ben, but in the book, you mentioned Bruce Tuckman, and he introduces the concept of teams. There's the forming, storming, norming, performing, adjourning. And then you focus on, we need to be really good at getting from storming to norming. I'm just going to shut up. And then Ben, you can jump in too. But Christina, just walk me through why that's critical for, say, like the person you're writing about in the team that managed itself. The thing about uh, Bruce Tuckman's model is it's linear. And I have never seen a linear model that I didn't want to make into a circle because the reality is that we don't work that way. Exactly. You know, we work iteratively. We're constantly going through that. So um, except maybe teams, teams, we throw some people together. We say, go for it. Um, They start building up resentments or anger or, you know, clicks. Um, Maybe you love working with that person, but that other person drives you crazy, but you've never told them they drive you crazy. And so, I needed to come up with something that allowed teams to constantly be self-healing and constantly get better. And so when you think about, you put them together, right, forming, then you're going to have storming um, on and off, depending on things, and then norming. And I thought, well, what if you flip that, right? What if instead, when we first got people together, we built some norms, and then we could have those harder discussions. And you can't get rid of all fights, but you can get rid of the stupid ones, hopefully, the ones that you didn't really need to have if you just had a proper conversation. And so by getting people quickly into norming, and then you have to go back to it. Again, everything, everything I write about, everything I do is a cadence. There's a a setting, there's check-ins, and there is a big retrospective. You learn so much from retrospectives. So I thought, well, let's storm more often. Maybe at the end of every quarter, the team gets together and talks about all the things they want to make better. And then there'll be some fights and arguments, but they will get better, right? And so through this rhythm, you just want continuous improvement because we humans, we love to learn. We love to make things. We love that feeling of mastery. That's why we play video games, because you love that sense of crushing it. And so if we can get into this rhythm of constantly asking ourselves, how can we level up? then that's a beautiful thing. It's a very satisfying thing. Do you agree, Ben? Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. And going back to this idea of teams, I mean, the distinction that really stood out for me was the basic one of a work group and a team. A work group is actually not really a team. Right. And, you know, this really came to play with a lot of the sales teams that I work with are saying, well, you know, why are we setting OKRs? We already have our individual bonuses. We already have our targets. We're basically doing OKRs already. But then when you really look at it, um, a lot of these sales teams are just simply a collective of individuals who report to a VP and they're trying to execute on their individual numbers. And, you know, the team might be, you know, not to say that all sales teams aren't teams. I think it's possible for there to be certain elements of a sales team that are team-like. But to the extent that you're a work group, probably OKRs are not as important as compared to if you're a team 
where you're ultimately trying to achieve a big thing together as opposed to like individuals going off and doing stuff. And that was an insight. And so these, this is just the beginning of the insights that you get as you look at the, uh, the book that uh, came out, The Team That Managed Itself, part two in a way. And I finally have to agree with you, Mark, that it really is, as an OKRs coach, I can say, okay, it's an OKRs book. But I think there's a lot more to it than just the, uh, the OKRs element. And it's also just a good read. I think I told you this, Christina. The main character, you know, is female. I relate to her quite a bit, actually. And there's like, there's romance and there's expectations and disappointment and how do you deal with this? And oh my God. And it's just like, it's just kind of funny too. So it builds off that same flavor of radical focus of which whenever I go to Asia, I always get people who have read your book, by the way, Christina, radical focus is huge in Asia, right? I don't exactly know all the reasons why, although I know one famous movie star in, in um, I think it was in uh, China promoted your book for some weird reason. And I don't even know exactly if it had to do with OKRs, but there was something about the engineer with a My Little Pony shirt on that really resonated with certain people, including me. So that's the the, the compliment to this, you know, making this whole OKR space a little bit more fun. I think Christina's definitely brought that. I think that's so funny because I almost didn't put my drawings in and people just love them from the talks. And at the very last minute, I was like, ah, let's put the drawings in. Um, and you're right. People really resonate. They like to see the faces of these people. They connect with them. Christine, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you're busy. So let's jump into this book. Does, does it have a title yet, this new book you're working on? Um, no, this is actually Radical Focus 2.0. Radical Focus came out five years ago. Can you believe it? Um, it doesn't seem that long ago. Maybe longer. Anyway, so so it's, it's changed that I ended up rewriting the second part of it completely. I mean, it's it's very, very different. The story is not very different, but uh, the advice is very different. So that was a big one for me. And then, um, right, and then it's in copy editing. So I'm already thinking about what's going to be my next project. And I try not to stop writing because if I stop writing, it's hard to start again. So it's much easier just to keep going. And I am thinking about half-built strategy as being a potential um, direction, but um, I have this thing from a popular class I taught, probably everybody's favorite class, which was the creative founder. And it uses design thinking in order to create new businesses and innovate. And so I'm kind of back and forth on those too. So who knows, maybe your, uh, your listeners will tell me which is the right one to write next. Can we ask you, what do you read uh, when you're not writing? Uh, I'm, I'm sure you read other than business books. What, what, what's your favorite genre? What are some of your favorite titles? Oh, I'm, I'm such a, I grew up on fantasy and Lord of the Rings. I've always been that kind of person. I tend to read um, a lot of stuff like that um, to relax. Actually, right now, it's kind of embarrassing because I'm actually reading Upstream, which is a business book, or maybe it's more of like a how do we make things better book by Chip and Dan Heath. Um, but before that, I w- just finished The Invisible Library, which is like the sixth or seventh about this library that's outside of time and space. And um, people are collecting old books, which balances the earth. I don't know. It's just kind of crazy and fun and wonderful. So I like I like both kinds. And I will point out one thing I wanted to say earlier, Mark, was um, you said I even have the drawing book. Well, writing that book is how I was able to write the team that managed itself. Because once I could understand and think through models, team that managed itself is full of those models. And um, drawing is a way to get smarter. So I'm glad that I snuck that in. 
Well, and I didn't just buy blindly. I mean, I wanted to be supportive of you as an author, but Dan Pink in one of his books, I can't remember if it's a whole new mind, but he talks about uh, drawing and, and it's something we should all consider. So uh, I thought, well, I got to start somewhere. So I'm starting with, with your, your book. And it's, to me, it's very accessible um, for someone who's never drawn before. So I don't know if that's the intended audience, but I think it's just a, a great sweet spot, uh, a perfect starting spot. By the way, uh, Ben Ben had to step away, so he has a kid thing. So we're going to call this a wrap. Uh, okay. What el- what else are you doing these days? Well, uh, I as Ben mentioned, I teach at Stanford. Right this qu- um, this quarter, I'm teaching uh, design for behavior change. And I'm really excited because I'm part of a new initiative at Stanford called Embedded Ethics. So I actually get to collaborate with a PhD in philosophy, um, thinking about how, as we teach people how to change behavior, what are the ethical ramifications of that? And so these kids at Stanford, they're going to go out, they're going to be the next Facebook and the next Google. And I want to stick a little ethics in there, as you might imagine, because I think it's time for our industry to grow up and act like grown-ups and take care of their customers and their user base. So that's just been really super fun for me. Um, that's what I'm doing in my, that's my day job, I guess. <laughs> well, again, thank you very much. I know you're busy, but just getting you on uh, means a lot to us. And I know Ben's very appreciative as well. And it was a pleasure meeting you. Thank you so much. You are listening to CFO Bookshelf. Lifelong learning for financial leaders. And now back to our host, Mark Gandy. Christina Watke, thank you. Again, she's the author of Radical Focus, the first book ever on OKRs. The other book we mentioned was The Team That Managed Itself. Great read. And if Patrick Lencioni were writing a book on OKRs, that would be the book he would have written. And then her other book we briefly alluded to was Pencil Me In. And Ben Lamort, you had to leave early, so we didn't get to officially say goodbye to you, but thank you, my friend. We can learn more about Ben and his great work on OKRs at OKRs.com. He's also the co-author of Objectives and Key Results, and we didn't bring it up, but he's working on a field guide for OKRs coaches, and I'm going to guess that will be released sometime this year. And we're going to call this a wrap. Keep learning, keep growing, keep making a difference. I'm Mark Gandy with CFO Bookshelf. (music) 